and I'm debating whether to forgive Rebecca Davis for missing last week. If you remember, we were told that she had to miss it because she was being trained, and you might remember that I wrote to her boss, Branko Brikic, and said that Rebecca is either untrainable in the sense that, please, or, you know, she's she's John Eels. She's perfect, so training can't improve her. <laughs> Did it improve you, Rebecca? I am a very imperfect project, John. <laughs> so much work still to be done on me. I hope you will forgive me. I will. I, um, I understand because I'm, I'm an unsolvable project, uh, whereas at least you have enough years ahead of you to move to one towards some sort of perfection. Thank you, John. Thank you so much. I wanted to talk a bit about the Zonda Commission because it's over, basically, isn't it? It's done. That whole theatre that has, you know, taken us over for three years. Yep. And we're getting to a point now where we have to assess the whole shebang, whether it was worth it. And, of course, I do think it was worth it. Let me state that from the offing. I do think the Zonda Commission was worth it. I think we've had some incredibly useful information come out of it. Of course, the ultimate test is going to be whether prosecutions follow, whether this will be, you know, legally actionable information. But it is worth considering, I think, some of the other aspects of it. You know, I'm interested in the question of how much the Zonda Commission, for instance, has tied up newsrooms. And I really mean this, you know, there's been a constant need to cover the revelations coming out of the Zonda Commission to the point that I think it has risked our focus being constantly on the corruption and misdeeds of the Zuma era at the expense, possibly, of what has been happening in the Ramaphosa administration. And that is a potential fault that, you know, we will have to make up for at some point. It seems to me as if, you know, it really has made us look backwards constantly instead of looking around at the moment. As I said, probably worth it. But another question that I'm considering at the moment is whether the Zondo Commission has paid enough care, attention to the care of its witnesses. And we saw one question raised this week by former SAA CEO Cizakele Mzimela, who pointed out that when she was being cross-examined at the Zondo Commission by the former public enterprises minister, Malusi Yigaba, it was on her to pay for lawyers to protect her, to prepare her for that experience. Whereas, of course, the former minister had the benefit of the state footing his legal bills. Now, this is in accordance with the Public Finance Management Act, in accordance with Treasury regulations, because, of course, you know, you have to have some kind of protection, state employees, lest you be taken to court for spurious matters while you're in trying to do your job. But it does beg the question of, whether for the witnesses before the Zondo Commission, this experience will have been more hardship than benefit. And we know also from the other witnesses of the time required to appear before the Zondo Commission, that it's not just a, a, a question of sitting there in front of cameras for two days. It's about sitting with lawyers in advance, preparing affidavits and so forth, that it can come at considerable cost. And I'm interested, finally, John, in... One more thing now that we know that the Zonda Commission is wrapping up, and that is the question of those who are implicated but never given the chance to appear. This is the case, for instance, with my former colleague, Ranjini Munasami, who was implicated in testimony from a mysterious witness as being on the payroll of the state security agency, who effectively lost her job in media as a result. 
and was never given the chance to come and defend herself, to give her side of the story, despite her pleas to do so. Now, I'm pretty confident she cannot be the only one. There is this concept, I think, in the public consciousness that anyone implicated before the Zonda Commission was guilty. And perhaps that is true. I'm not in a position to evaluate that. But the fact is also that we do take it as a general precept of our legal system that both sides of the story be aired. And that has not always been the case with the Zonda Commission. So these are the kind of issues, John, that I'm mulling over as this extraordinarily long commission eventually comes to a close. Yeah, I think, Rebecca, I mean, it's, it's almost trite to say that it's going to take us probably several years to wait for the report and then the action which flows out of the report and the success or otherwise of that action before we can make anything approaching a final determination. Uh, but gut instinct like yours is at the moment that I feel that it was worth it. So Ramaphosa uh, saying a few minutes ago, we've hit rock bottom as a country. The only way is up. Change is happening in South Africa. It is irrevocable change. We will change because we must. And again, we're going to need time to see to what extent that commitment is given action which matches the commitment. Are you missing the Olympics? I am, John. And, you know, it was every bit as wonderful as I promised you. I mean, I don't know if you agree, but you might recall I came on this very segment and raved to you about how much I was looking forward to the Olympics, and it really lived up to all my expectations. I'd like to take you to a whistle-stop tour of some of my highlights. Um, The Simone Biles saga, Simone Biles putting out because of her mental health, because of fears about her about whether she might actually damage herself because of her mental health. You know, that whole saga just prompted so many fascinating conversations, for me anyway, about mental health, about Generation Z, in fact, and their willingness continually to put their mental health above all other considerations. I don't always or often agree with that perspective, but it really, I found those discussions very interesting and it also yeah. taught me about the twisties john Did before you know we get to, be, I, I, yeah i do know about the twisties but before we get on to the twisties <laughs> i would love to hear your view of the twisties but uh, new zealand at the moment is seized by a discussion following the suicide a couple of days ago of a 24 year old female cyclist she qualified for the olympics but uh, she wasn't selected for the new zealand team she committed suicide and the night before she took her own life she put a post on instagram talking about the immense pressures on athletes and the degree to which you are required to subject your core humanity in order to achieve to be better than the best and she'd obviously had enough of that and in the context of the discussions around naomi osaka and simone biles i I think that's a very stark reminder of why we need to take this very very seriously It is, John. I mean, there is a part of me that is, I think, has had these concepts of duty and sacrifice hardwired into me by boomer parents and who knows what, that thinks, as per the words of the great Billie Jean King, that pressure is a privilege, that the ability to deal with pressure is an indispensable part of sport and that we, in fact, count it as part of sporting performance, that we use it as part of our evaluation. But I don't necessarily think it's it's a time to get into that whole discussion now, but yeah. I, I am interested by yeah. these issues. So, to the twisties. Um, well, the twisties is part of it. Who yeah. knew that the twisties, this fascinating psychological kind of malady that comes upon gymnasts in midair, 
where they simply forget how to do it, basically, compared to being on a, motor, on a motorway or a highway and suddenly forgetting how to drive. I mean, it sounds absolutely terrifying. And it really reminds me how dangerous gymnastics is, which I think is something we forget because it is predominantly associated with 14-year-old girls. Yet they are the true heroes. They should be the ones we're sending out to war, gymnasts. John, I found it, I must admit, very funny when a member of the Iranian Revolutionary Guard won a medal for shooting. <laughs> I'm laughing about it even now. Even though his, his rivals complained they were effectively competing with a terrorist. I also found it a little bit funny when the German judoka, judo contestant, was slapped in the face very hard by her coach before a fight, prompting outrage from the world before she explained, no, no, it's just part of my warm-up. She maybe needs to have a word with Simone Biles and the likes about <laughs> hardiness. The controversy over the horse Saint Boy in the pentathlon. Oh, John. I mean, the pentathlon's such a bizarre sport anyway, event. And then that sad, sad issue where the German athlete Kim Reisner comes in, in, in leading the pack, gets onto the horse Saint Boy, who she's never met before because they're not allowed to have a personal relationship with the horse they're choosing. Cannot get this damn horse to move, and her coach punches it in the face. I mean, really, in some regards, quite shocking, but a tiny bit, a tiny bit amusing in just like a surreal way. I love the mixed gender events which are now kind of established in the Olympics. I think they're fascinating, the relays, the swimming. And I love the speed climbing, John, although I do not understand the scoring at all. But really a wonderful addition, I thought. I loved the story that came out today about Jamaican hurdler Hansel Parchment, who showed up at the wrong venue to run his event, then was kindly had his taxi fare paid by a young Japanese volunteer to his correct venue and is now rewarding her or rather his country is with a trip to Jamaica to say thank you. I love that. And finally, John, you know, we were told in advance that the residents of Tokyo were so against the Olympics, but I thought it was really a sign of how much they had rallied around by the end, if indeed they were so against it, that they could not be stopped from coming out in their numbers to support the men's and women's marathons. And that was really you know, quite uplifting in these darkened terrible times. And then uh, finally, I have to rethink my use of the smiley face emoji, particularly when I am communicating with somebody who would uh, resort under the description Generation Z. That is absolutely correct. The smiley face emoji, I have now checked this with my younger colleagues. Smiley face emojis, if, you're, if you are communicating with the young ones, no longer means, haha, it does not denote amusement or happiness. It is sarcastic and passive-aggressive. So if you send that to your young relatives or friends or colleagues, they may well be offended. If you wish to denote, denote amusement to a member of this young group, you should instead be using the skull emoji or the skull and crossbones, which is shorthand for I'm dead. Otherwise, the smiley is for sarcasm, John. And if you wish to really give it an extra twist, you can use the upside-down smiley. Please take note because I would hate for you of all people, a man of your, you know, your great standing and gravitas to be shamed in the course of WhatsApp communication, John May. I now understand why my daughter hasn't replied to any of my WhatsApps for the last three weeks. <laughs> it's definitely that. It's definitely that. <laughs> Rebecca, thank you very, very much. Rebecca Davis, journalist and author at Daily Maverick.